<laughs> to give me permission anyway. Oh, fucking bullshit. <laughs> Motherfucker. It's God okay. Damn. No, nothing, nothing, dear. <laughs> nothing happened. <laughs> I just have to give Owen permission to record. Oh. <laughs> I like, I like that we have a new phantom producer. We had a big, <laughs> yes. Our last producer was like a cryptid, and this one is a ghost. <laughs> cool. The, the ghost that lives in my apartment. <laughs> hey, you know what? I feel like that helps us with the blue check crowd a little bit. Yes. You know, because our, our target audience, our target blue check audience. Are you recording? I am. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, I'm going to start recording now, too, just okay. in case. And boom. All right. Yeah, I think that's going to help us with our target blue check audience, because uh, I think feel like ghosts are a little bit more, um, they're a little <laughs> more credible than cryptids. Uh, I mean, let, let's be real. If you're at a bar and someone comes up and talks to you, would you rather have them talk about ghosts or chupacabras? I don't, I mean, for me, it'd be like chupacabras, I don't know shit. I would yeah. love that, but I feel like for the average, for the average uh, media associate at such and such conglomerate, I feel like they're going to be like, well, there was this one time I thought I felt my grandmother in the corner of my bedroom, but I'm not sure, you know? There's a literary uh, yeah. heritage to the ghost story <laughs> that I feel yeah. plays very well. Like, you can, you can make something very artistic and gothic of it, but there's only so far you can do that with Bigfoot, you know? Like, there's only so yeah. highbrow that Bigfoot goes before it's like, well, I'm Bigfoot, so... Yeah, I'm I just feel like gonna, there's. I don't know much about that big city literature, but want to go fishing? Like, I think the Bigfoot—he's a down-to-earth guy. You know, he's not. Your Bigfoot sounds like a mid-Ohio like farmer, like to the T. That's fucking yeah. Like, well, you know, I don't know much about life, but I do know how to grow some corn. Like, that's yeah, that's Bigfoot at like finding his bliss. He's like, I just want to be out of the media spotlight and. <laughs> He's like, um, he's like a Brad, uh, Brendan Fraser or something where it's like he had his couple of big hits and then was like, oh, this life ain't for me. I'm, I'm getting out while the getting's good. So, so, so that's our first, uh, uh, pop cult return hot take is Bigfoot's a himbo. I think Bigfoot he is. is the, no, he's the himbo. He's the original. He himbo. is the himbo. Actually, this is a little bit of a, this is a side quest, but I, uh, I recently went to Portland, Maine, which is a beautiful town. Okay. We, lo we love Portland, Maine. Um, and there is the International Museum of Cryptozoology there, oh, which awesome. is so incredible uh, because it's a lot of casts of Bigfoot feet. It's very small. It's, very, it's made with a lot of love. It's a lot of love. And I went in and I was like, uh, I, I was talking to the woman at the gift shop, like ticket counter. And she was like, do you have any interest in cryptozoology? And I was like, a lot of interest. And she was like, oh yeah, like in what way? And I was, I talked a bit and then I was like, oh, I'm also reading the Mothman prophecies right now. And she was like, oh, I don't mess with Mothman. Like very seriously. She's like, I don't mess with Mothman. A lot of, a lot of people are like that. I mean, you know, you, you've seen Helier. Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's a whole yeah. nother. Yeah, Greg Newkirk falls. That's a whole nother podcast. Way. So, oh nice. Yeah, yeah. He seems like a nice guy. He's a sweetheart. He's a total sweetheart. Uh, but yeah. uh, they had a very they had a big stuffed Mothman on the second floor, but no Mothman plushies to bring home, which I was sad about. But anyway, uh, hey Owen. <laughs> <laughs> Hi Sarah. Fancy, I you know I just went out to get a, a pack of cigarettes. And I said I'd be back in five minutes, but <laughs> a couple years it's later. Okay. It's okay. You're here now. And yeah. that's all that matters. Yeah, the traffic was terrible. You, you've grown since I left. 12-year traffic jam. You, you, know, you, don't, you don't understand how bad it is. How's yeah, your sister from... doing? She run away? Oh, fuck. Do you know how bad the traffic is on La Cienega going back to the valley? <laughs> At, at four in the afternoon. God damn. Sorry, I had to throw an LA specific no, reference there. The, the roads in LA are like, I, they're so well named. I, I, and which just makes sense because you're on them all the time. But any one, you shout out any boulevard, any road in LA, and it's something immediately funny to me. But uh, Owen, oh, we're back. And I dare say, I think we're, yeah. we're not actually better than ever. Things have kind of gone to shit. <laughs> yeah, I kind of noticed that. Was, yeah. 
Are you have your has your apartment burned to a crisp in in LA yet? No, but it's funny you mentioned that. So I had a birthday recently earlier this month, and it just happened to be. I don't think it was the worst day. I think, I think the day after my birthday was the worst day. But yeah, imagine like you have a birthday during a pandemic anyway, and then all of a sudden your city turns into a sci-fi fucking desert planet. And it's just like a dune sandstorm <laughs> in the sky and you can't go outside. No, it was, it was bizarre. Like the sun didn't even shine in that, it's like, in that like particular way that it does here because of the air quality. Like it didn't even like shine. It was just like this like burnt orange disc in the sky. Like it looked like, it looked like a, like a, like a still from one of those awful Kirk Cameron rapture movies. Like oh, it's no. terrible. I couldn't even leave my house. Um, that was not fun. But uh, no, it, I mean, yeah, it was, it was bizarre. Um, I mean, obviously, like, people north of us got it far worse. But um, the fact that it got as far down here as it did was strange. Yeah. I, uh, we got a little bit over, over here, but it never got, obviously, never got that bad. But there was one morning I woke up and the sky was just orange, like there were, or the sun was just orange. And it was just like, oh, yes. it's the biggest I've ever seen it just like sitting on the horizon. And I was like, oh my fucking God, like, that's, that's the fires, which is insane. Yeah. Cause it's a continent away. <laughs> it's an <laughs> yeah. entire continent. Other side of the continent. Yeah. Like uh, I saw that, uh, I didn't realize the magnitude of that until I saw the aerial photos of the pyrocumulus cloud. It looked like a, like a nuclear bomb that had gone off and was continuing to go off and I was like wow okay this is way worse than it was the last well, three years I lived here you know yeah well I think that this probably is an episode in and of itself but oh yes we keep, we we're keep back doing this. we keep doing we keep this doing this we just have so much fun here but uh we're pop cult and we're back and we're pop cult we're here to talk about all sorts of things that are spiritual and not spiritual in nature and uh yeah, uh, pops and cults, pops which, you know, is a deliberate, heavy-handed, horrible broadcast news style segue into our, <laughs> you know, discussion topic of this particular episode. Uh, we wanted to is... ease back in to let, with something very easy to discuss, not controversial, uh, right. not triggering, not upsetting, very easy to, to talk about sort of thing. Like, we're talking nexium folks that's what we're doing but um <laughs> yes so we're gonna we're gonna go with the cult part of the car of the pop cult uh so, monitor today. yeah so um, owen you chose Danielle. this topic i think as like a good like jumping off point like we're gonna talk about nexium but it's like we're gonna use it as like a base to talk about other things kind of in the like spiritual uh corporate world i guess as a blanket term mm -hmm. uh and so, yeah, I mean, I think that it's kind of in the news a lot, especially the last like year or two, but uh, for mm. people who might not be uh, informed, can you give people just like a little quick rundown, the, the first paragraph of a Wikipedia page of what is Nexium or what was Nexium? All right, so yeah, Nexium was something that I have been following for a little while since I heard the CBC, uh, the Canadian podcast, uh, where, uh, a Canadian actress who had gotten involved in a very high level with Nexium um, was telling her story. Um, so Nexium was actually, it's been around for about a good, I want to say like 10, 15 years or so at this point. I think it uh, started in like the early aughts. Um, and it was founded by a man named Keith Raniere who had claimed to be, he's, he's actually like a very, very IQ wise, he's a very smart person, allegedly but he claimed to found like find this way of rationally ending up at a complete optimization of the human being and human thought processes both for like healing and further human development and of course like if you're familiar with self-help culture at all that doesn't sound you know at like anything different but the problem is is that this dude was like incredibly persuasive. I remember that his, his uh, one of his number two people, um, a woman named Nancy Salzman, who ended up being, uh, yeah, kind of like his right-hand woman um, for, for most of Nexium's kind of rise. Uh, she had originally met Keith's former girlfriend, the girlfriend wife, um, 
and this is my like, girlfriend wife. <laughs> this is my girlfriend wife. This is my girlfriend wife. And well, she had met Keith's, so she had met Keith's former partner. And, and Nancy Salzman was a practicing uh, nurse and a, a psychiatrist at the she's time. She's a hypnotist too, right? Yeah. Well, uh, yes. Yeah she's, a, yeah, she's a licensed hypnotist. And she had said to uh, the, the girlfriend of Keith had said, hey, I need some help with my husband. And, had, and she told Nancy a couple things. And Nancy Salzman had said right away without, without breaking a sweat, well, I got your problem right here. He's a sociopath. Cut to... A couple days later, he, she goes and talks with Keith in a room, and she comes out with an eyes glazed over look, and she says, he's one of the smartest men I've ever met. And the girlfriend goes, yeah, there goes another one. So he has this very strange kind of NLP effect on people, mm -hmm. which again, mm -hmm. screams CIA to me. But um, sure. the core- Which is like, yeah, we will get into. It's actually organized as like a, like a self-help, like a kind of like an OG uh, self-help business coaching um pyramid scheme essentially yeah. that's essentially um, what like the f structure of it is it's like it's like an mlm for spirituality within like a a biz uh, specifically related to like self-help and business optimization like one of those types of right things. yeah and, and you'd enter into it because they had a because so nexium was like the the umbrella term for all of the like smaller companies that are like all under their purview right which tends to happen with like, uh, you see like that in the like World Financial Group, um, Transamerica thing, where I'm sure if you've been unemployed in the last two years, you've gotten calls to be like, you've gotten interviews with people to be like a wealth management advisor and it's like a fucking like life insurance MLM. Yeah, like it's, it's where they have like a bunch of different companies under the same name, but it's all basically Transamerica, you know, WWGO. So the... It's, it's a very similar concept. So they had this program called Excess, uh, Executive Success Programs. So you would go in thinking that this was like a normal uh, Napoleon Hill style business coaching seminar um, or uh, like, like Werner Earhart 70s style business mm -hmm. coaching seminar. And it turns out, you know, you walk in and there's these people, they're wearing these weird colored sashes. And then they explain why it's normal for them to wear weird color sashes because that's their rank in the organization. It's like, oh yeah, white, white sashes are students and yellow student, yellow sashes are coaches. And it's, you know, of course, as soon as you look at it, it's like, not only is that weirdly paramilitary, but it's also like, you know, it's ranks in an MLM system of like how much you sell and how many yeah. people that you recruit. And um, at the heart of it, like the, the hotter you were and the more things you sold, like as a woman in this cult, the closer you got to like the inner sanctum, basically, where it basically became a sex cult, right? Yeah, yes, yes. And I, I realize I'm starting like way at the beginning of it, but like I, I'm trying to- No, I think I'm it's important to like, to like kind of work our way into it. So, yeah, like, because you have to, because this is something we're going to talk about a little later, but like you kind of have, I'm-, I'm pitching it as something like it sounds really normal mm -hmm. so that so that when you get it sounds like a fucking business coaching amway but then when you get like further and further into it it gets and as the uh and as as the organization grows and as keith ranieri and his like little ring of associates grow more powerful within the organization everybody else becomes kind of atomized and there's more control over every every single person in the organization so um, when you get up to a particular level, um, there is, uh, yeah, there, there was kind of this, yeah, then this is where what was in the news is inner sanctum sex cult. I actually don't even think that it was at a necessarily a higher level. I believe it was started, if, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was started by higher level women in this organization, or it was claimed to be started by higher level women in this organization. Um, it was this yeah, org within an org called DOS, which stands for Dominum, Dominum Obsequiorum uh, uh, Sororum, which means essentially like um, master, sisters of master over slave. It's bad, yeah. it's bad Latin. It's actually really bad Latin. Um, but yeah, that's basically what it means. But it's basically so, like women who are subservient to the master who was Keith. Yeah. Okay. Well, but, but even, yeah, it, which ended up being Keith, but that's like the end of the story. The beginning of the story was like you basically, a woman would approach you and say, hey, I'm part of this thing that's really helpful to, that's been really helpful mm -hmm. to me. And then she would go on and explain to be like, so what we do is we give up all of our control to, you, you'll give up all of your control to this one woman and she, you know, you'll call her master and you'll be her slave. But really what, it, what this is, is, is essentially like an extreme form of like accountability. Mm -hmm. And that's how they would pitch it. 
and also it's like extreme and, yeah. feminism too right like yeah was, yeah and they're just like and they're just like the men can't know about this we don't tell any of the men about this and like essentially like how they would pitch it is like we women are just going to know about this and it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and worldwide and then we're going to be able to just like change things from within that was essentially their like vision pitch Mm -hmm. But of course, it's nothing like that. So essentially what would happen when you, once you got to a, a, a certain point in this like master slave process, which would involve like, you know, having to text back right away when someone when someone texts you or like having to go run errands for this person or whatever, it would eventually start to turn sexual, of course. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you would also have to- what good is a cult? What good is a cult? unless you're getting yeah. it somewhere, right? Like Right, exactly. <laughs> and and, and the, the entrance for this was dependent on like like sexual collateral. Well not just sexual, but also like um, you know, recorded conversations of people being like, wow, I really hate my father or like mm -hmm. stuff like that. But it was mostly sexual like nudes and yeah and whatnot. And you would have to continually give like these kinds of collateral uh to to uh show that you're committed to this particular organization. And then at a certain point, and this is what was newsworthy, what was really newsworthy was uh, you, would get you would get inducted into the organization more formally. And what you would do, they would, they would basically kidnap you, blindfold you, take you to a house, strip you naked, and you know, brand you near the genitals with a, with a cauterizing iron. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the, the symbol used was, <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of like this is ridiculous. This is like where it just gets ridiculous. The symbol used. This is, is where oh, it gets ridiculous. No, no, yeah, right. But like Th this, is, this where... is. Yeah, no, but this is where it gets really like ridiculous in a in a in a pop cult kind of way, where it's just like, oh, the symbol that we've created is a symbol of the four elements and how each element empowers us to do a particular thing. But of course, like the symbol that they drew on there was not the symbol that was shown, and. Uh, if you go and look at if you google nexium branding symbol you'll see it's it's uh the leader's initials it's kr yes if you turn it around so they essentially branded these these people um and uh yeah so that's uh, that's a really rambly summary of what made it into uh popular culture what made it into like mainstream popular culture from that. Um, now, of course, we've got this documentary that's, that's coming out and still coming out called The Vow that details this in more depth if you want to know, but we just, I, it's not necessarily this particular cult that we wanted to talk about though, Sarah. This is what we wanted to talk about. It's, as we do, we always get broad with this shit. Yeah, I think it's like, yeah. this is a good jumping off place to talk about other things that like we talk about all the time and that I think we want to continue to talk about through the podcast, which is kind of like the, the dangers of like commodifying spirituality and like yeah. the dangers of this kind of like, uh, I don't know how else to say it, but it's like when it's, I think this is, a, this episode is a kind of a good thesis statement almost for like, I think things we're just going to continue to talk about on this yeah, podcast. Yeah, like, a, like right? a tentative thesis statement. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, so yeah. I think that like, there's a lot to unpack here, but I think the thing, so like, <laughs> I was a lot to unpack here. I can't, I, can't, I, I can't hear somebody say that without laughing now. <laughs> Yikes. But I think that there's, there is a lot to unpack. There's the thing that I, in thinking about this, in the, in the lead up to doing this episode, I was like kind of going over other big cults from the last like century, right? And like kind of looking mm -hmm. at things that made them different, ways that they fit into their times and not. And I think it is interesting. Like I feel like every generation kind of has the, the big cult that sort of captures the imagination, that kind of gets, gets caught and is uh, very indicative of the time that it's in. And I feel like Nexium is kind of that right now for this moment. Um, and you could make yeah. the case for a couple other things that are bouncing around out there, but, and like maybe, mm -hmm. maybe other things are cresting on the horizon. But I think for right now, Nexium really is kind of like, you know, like the thing that made Manson so perfect for the 60s is because like a lot of people knew people who were going to live in communes, right? Like a lot of people knew mm. people who were back to the landers or did the hippie movement, doing a lot of acid, going to rock shows. Like, and so Manson just was kind of like the most extreme version of that, right? Like the darkest. Yeah, and he was like, like a perfect embodied archetype of all of the fears surrounding the hippie movement too. Exactly. Much like 
and, and not even like in a culty way, it was much like how like Tupac was that way for like, you know, like quote unquote thugs in LA. Like he yeah. was a perfect embodied archetype of all of the fears that was that were surrounding that, right? Um, and when you look at like- Pretty good dude. Yeah, yeah. And then when you, yeah. when you look at like, um, when you look at like Jim Jones and you look at Jonestown and the People's Temple, like yeah. that's very much kind of like the nascent like left movement in America at the time. Like they were very much like a quote unquote socialist cult at the beginning, right? Like they, yeah. uh, like when Jim Jones talks about like revolutionary suicide, he's quoting the Black Panthers there, right? And like, I think that that responds very much to like the dangers of that kind of like uh, communist left in America in the seventies and the like, you know, the rise or, of the, the megachurch kind of. Yeah. Right, or the perceived dangers of like collective thought of yeah. like literal group think, right? Well, because Jim Jones also like, it's also the beginnings of kind of, I think a lot of political stuff in America because, uh, you know, he, Jim Jones was a huge player in American politics. Like people don't realize this, but he like yeah, desegregated whole parts of the Midwest. Like the People's Temple wielded like a lot of power and like, actually did a lot of good in terms of like racial justice and like the civil rights movement and stuff like that and like mm -hmm. Angela Davis used to go to people's temple meetings like people don't realize this like they had a lot of, of clout um mm -hmm. that's why a fucking senator got shot at the people's temple because he was going yeah. down there you know like the, it's a thing um but so I think that Nexium is kind of like all right uh spirituality is like the people have kind of lost understandably lost faith in like institutionalized religion right like there's right. Been a, uh, people don't people are distrustful of like going to church or going to a temple or going to a synagogue or going to some sort of organized denomination so but they still have that spiritual yearning and that creates the kind of like you know breaks the pot and then you have all these pieces everywhere where people are trying to put together some sort of new thing and mm -hmm. I think the thing with Nexium that we kind of talk about is like, you think yep. you're deprogramming yourself and you're putting yourself into a new mindset. You are downloading a new software into your brain, but really that old programming is still fucking there. And if you don't at least realize that or, or seriously, like critically take that away. So I have the 12 point mission statement by Keith Raniere uh, pulled up because I think that it's kind of important to touch on some of these things uh yeah because it's like okay i'm gonna read you a couple of these tell me if this sounds like any instagram post that you saw today success is an internal state of clear honest knowledge of what i am my value in the world and my responsibility for the way i react to all things okay so that's like that's like a post like I'm, that's basically a, yeah. a, a post then it's like yeah, and I, I I think this also too like the side note, um, uh, Keith Raniere's uh, his name his name in the organization his like title was Vanguard. Um, kind of thought it, yeah, he thought he, yeah, which is which is which he actually he actually named Vanguard. himself after Vanguard. He actually named himself after after the arcade game. Um, but it's oh interesting, God. yeah, it's interesting that if you've ever played Vanguard, it's about you, you destroy other things and you gain more power by how many things that you like, like kill or destroy in the game, essentially. So the fact that this is saying that like, you know, success is, 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 you know, I have responsibility for the way that I react to whole things, uh, to all things, like you've completely, you're, you, he's, like planting seeds in uh, the only way that I can like get around in the world is essentially by like taking control over every particular situation and just right. like, more control, more control, more responsibility, more self-accountability. And he also is very, very much inspired by Ayn Rand, which I don't think a lot of yes. people cover. Um, he, he quotes Atlas, if you actually watch like some of the um, footage of Keith speaking, he quotes from Atlas Shrugged a lot. Um, uh, maybe not a lot, a lot, but like a fair amount, like enough to like kind of tilt your head at it, where I think that's where a lot of this like hyper focus on self like self-responsibility over everything else comes Yeah, from. yeah. It's nothing new. Well, like the second one is like, there are no vic, sorry, there are no ultimate victims. Therefore, I will not choose to be a victim. And it's like- Precisely. 
Yeah. Yeah. That is a statement to me that is like such a fucking brain worm, right? Because so like, look, I've been going to therapy for a little while now. It's definitely helpful. There is something to the toxicity of like a quote unquote, like victimized mindset. Like I think that there are times where it's like, you really can get to a toxic point where you sit around and you say, boo-hoo, everything bad just happens to me. I have no control over my life. And like, oh, isn't it just like the world that sucks? And like, I I never do anything wrong. I'm just the victim of all this other bad stuff. Like that is a thing that a lot of people do. I do it. Everyone Mm -hmm. does it. Yeah. But like, and so like, I think the idea of taking a step back in certain instances and saying like, I'm not a victim is like powerful. And like, it is, you should take responsibility for your life. And like, I think in magic, we talk about this a lot. Like, and that's kind of what I think we want to work our way into is like, I think the idea of personal responsibility is a good one, but it's also like, when you say that there are no victims, it means that like, whatever I do to you at all, at all is never bad because if I, if you're not a victim, then I never did anything wrong because there's no such thing as victimhood. Mm-hmm. So like, you can't be a victim of sexual assault if there's no such thing as victims. Like, you have to get over that, you know? Right, and and, and, and this is also fun. like, this is, this is just, this is like basic self-help talk too. So yeah. it's when, when people, yeah, when people are, you know, they gush all over, especially in the documentary, in the vow, and you know, if and when our listeners watch it, like people gush all over this guy and what's good about the first episode of that documentary is that they don't really start criticizing Nexium until like the end of the first episode because they want people to understand like how hypnotic and intoxicating and how it's just like based on again very basic shit that comes from you know 70s on self-help culture which well, again was this no victimhood thing that's straight out of the fucking like Werner Earhart, Tony Robbins playbook, right? Yeah. Well, one thing that I was actually, for the purposes of like our talk and like keeping it in kind of the occult realm, one thing that really jumped out to me when I was reading over these 12 like points was how similar yet completely different it sounded from something like the Church of Satan. Yes. Yes. There's like a real, there's, it's very similar yet very different, I think in significant ways from something like COS or like modern Satanism, right? Because it does still have that kind of Randian, um, you know, individualism and personal responsibility and like... Uh, well, the COS in particular, because the TSTs kind of moved a bit away from Yeah, that. yeah. So, but you know what I'm saying? Like the kind of, if we could put, maybe put it just modern Satanism, like modern yeah. Satanic thought. But I think that like where it differs is that like, I think that having a background in magic and having a background in occultism... Uh, I don't know. I, I think that there, it, it's, what is the difference between magic and self-help, I guess, is like a big thesis, like big question to ask here, right? Because that's something that, it, that, that I get, I think the waters have gotten very muddy on. And I think Nexium is like a perfect example of that kind of coming right. out. If Nexium is like the dark stepchild of like Anton LaVeyan kind of thought, like where, where did that break kind of happen? Like why, why did COS and TST not go the way of Nexium? Like, was it just that Keith Raniere is like a uniquely evil figure? Cause I, d- I think that that's part of it, but I don't think it's the whole thing. Right? I, yeah. Well, I mean, I definitely think that that's part of it. Like that's, um, I, I think that's something that's addressed in a lot of the, in, in both in that CBC podcast and in, and in the new documentary um, quite a bit, but the, uh, when it comes to like magic and self-help, I don't necessarily think that there's that, a lot of the principles, and we, I think we're going to end up doing a podcast on magic and what we're kind of calling manifestation culture. Yeah, at a certain point. that's its whole, but that's a whole other episode. That's a whole other can of worms, but like, I'll, I'll, I'll pouring, just say this. Pouring a glass of said, wine for yourself. <laughs> yeah, 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 reopening a fucking wine bottle. Yes. But the, uh, when it comes to like magic and self, I don't think self-help is, ironically enough, a helpful term. Um, it's because it, there is something to the foundational statement of new thought, which is that thoughts are causative. Like, and mm-hmm. that's like, if you, if you're a magician, you know that, you know that viscerally, or you better or else like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Your, your thoughts do in some way influence your outer fucking perspective and not even just like, I made things, you know, I make things happen with my mind or whatever the fuck it's, it's in a 
kind of what we were saying earlier, what you were saying earlier about a victim mentality, if like, you know, if you look at the world as, as this super dangerous place where all these horrible fucking things are going to happen to you, you're going to like, using confirmation bias, select stuff to fucking pay attention to. Whereas like somebody who maybe is more of a pro-noyak than a paranoiac, like yeah. everything's here to help me. Like, yeah, is that super helpful? But, you know, not everything is here to help you. So yeah. again, I think it's this inability, it's this inability to fold um, like an understanding of like randomness and probability into it. But again, that, that is something that we can go into on a later podcast because that's its yeah. own fucking can of worms. But um, yeah, in, in terms of how that factors into an organization like this, well, I, yeah, I, this, this just kind of sounds when you, when you um, step back and take a look at the whole structure, yeah, it just kind of sounds like one person rolling people around his thumb. It's really, it actually is pretty basic in that way. And I think that that is part of the characteristic that's erupting in, in terms of like the rise of these sorts of groups. Cause like, he's not the only person to like make a business coaching MLM. Yeah. Like, he's just happens to be like a complete fucking sociopath. And I know? think again, like this is what's tough about this. So it's like, again, going, going back to what I was kind of, uh, I kind of started talking about, but, but left off. I think it's good for people to like be critical. Like basically like back in the sixties, I think a lot of people became or started to become distrustful of kind of mainstream thought, mainstream religion, uh, organized religion. And that has only gotten, people have only gotten mostly more distrustful or more distasteful of it. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. Cause I think that like, obviously organized religion has done a lot of damage to a lot of people and like I think that people you know I think rightfully people can look at um something like the Catholic Church just speaking from my own personal experience and say like okay there's a lot of abuse going on there there's a lot of like abuse of power going on there I don't want any part of that because I don't want to be told what to do and I don't want to get myself into a situation where like I'm going to be controlled or abused but I think that's like a very healthy way to go about the world but then it can lead to a trap, right? Because then it's like, well, he's not a Catholic priest, therefore it's fine. Like, you know, like this isn't a religion, it's a self-help course. So therefore it can't be bad because only religion is bad, you know? I'm I'm curious as to your thoughts on this. Like, do you think that that's like a style over substance thing? Like, do you think like how much of that is because I, I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to do is not remove agency from people in this, but it's like how much of this is people getting tricked by the window dressing reorganization and how much of it is people like, I genuinely think or don't realize that this is, yeah, I genuinely think this is different and I don't realize that this isn't any different from the same like top-down hierarchical power structures that I am leading, right? Do you know what I mean? No, I know exactly what you mean. And I think it's really difficult, right? Because yeah. uh, I think the thing that people miss about cults and like a, like a, any abusive relationship, like a, basically I think a cult is just an abusive relationship on a grand scale, like essentially is what we're talking about. I think the thing that people miss, the thing that people miss about abusive relationships or cults is like things are not bad all the time. Because if things are bad all the time, you won't stick around. Like the reason people right. stick around in cults or abusive relationships is because there are some really good times. Like there are probably yeah, and, some and, parties and fun shit going on in Nexium, right? Like Keith Raniere, yeah. probably a cool guy sometimes, right? Like that's the thing that people I think miss and like the thing that I think can lead people astray. Okay, so to answer your question, I think it is window dressing to a certain extent in that people are, I think sometimes people aren't introspective or honest enough or curious. I don't want to say honest because that sounds very victim blamey. Not be curious enough about what their core needs and wants are from like a spiritual system or a spiritual relationship. And I think when you're not constantly curious about what that is, it can lead you to some dark places because you could get the emotional side of that need fulfilled while having your money totally taken from you and having like the other Mm -hmm. needs, your physical, your emotional, your sexual other needs taken or abused from you. Right. Yeah. And I, and and what's interesting too, is like, when you look at, I'm looking at the third point in the 12 point mission statement here, which says 
I am committed to be successful. I understand each of us must raise ourselves and thereby raise all others as all others raise us. And then this is the kicker. This is interdependence. So you're immediate, like that kind of weird Zen Cohen of a statement is I think one of the hallmarks and red flags that something is a cult or a, or cult-y, I should say cultish, um, cult-like, uh, cult-esque. But uh, I think one of the hallmarks of that is that when you do try to do deep, either deep spiritual work or, you know, just simple rhetorical analysis and you kind of come to this like tautology very easily, I think that is kind of a hallmark of, of, of manipulation in an abusive, uh, a potentially abusive environment. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's kind of like, it's, it's almost like you, 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 you find a cave and you want to go explore the cave and you know like there's there's somewhere something somewhere there's something cool and meaningful for you in this system of caves mm -hmm. and then you just end up going around the same rock you know yeah. the entire time until until you can't you know you're stuck to the rock and you can't fucking move right it's, it's kind of like that i think that like also and this is i kind of actually want to ask you a question about this because like i think that the other thing too is that i think a lot of people don't have meaningful uh rituals or spiritual communities in their life whatever that means right um yeah. and i think that sometimes people want that fulfilled like something like this can give people that sense of meaning that they crave and i think extrapolating from that something that really bothers me about nexium and cults like it is sort of the weaponization of struggle mm -hmm. the idea that like struggle is inherent in life and that you must struggle for any sort of spiritual gain which is another difficult thing, right? Because it's like, I definitely think that work and to a certain extent struggle are part of like a spiritual quest. Like I do think you have to go through, I think if you don't go through anything, if you're like, okay, well, I'm just gonna pray and I don't have to give up anything and I don't have to change my behavior and I don't have to interact with the world in a different way at all. I don't have to, I don't have to do anything different than what I'm already doing. I think you end up with kind of toxic American churchianity, right? Where it's just yeah. like, well, yeah. I'm just going to believe in God and that's good enough. I don't have to change my behavior because I suddenly have this very profound grounding spiritual principle to my life. It's just like, well, I believe in God and that's enough. And I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. It's like, I think that that's bad. That's, that's really bad. But then the other side yeah. of it is like, I must always be whipping myself, even literally, like I have to always be physically emotionally suffering for this deity or for this guru in order to advance spiritually and like that's the other extreme side of it i guess like two questions one how do cool. you how do you find that delineation in your own practice and then two and this is kind of maybe something separate but like how much of this and this is not a joke how much of this literally do you think has to do with a lot of these people being actors who are in this. Yeah. Okay. Word. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I was. I was like, why is this specific to me? Oh, to you, right. Because it's okay. like you hear about some of it, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is the like shit you do at acting school, where you're like, I will throw myself down these stairs so that I know what it's like to be someone who's thrown down the oh, stairs. Oh well, that's that is not <laughs> okay. Not hashtag not all actors. No, but for real though, like that's not. Yeah, method is definitely not where I go about things. I'm reminded of the um, of uh, of uh, Dustin Hoffman meeting Laurence Olivier and Dustin Hoffman telling because you know, Dustin Hoffman famously very method, right? Mm -hmm. Like he he uh, he would put himself through quite a lot to like learn. Um, about his roles in like the same way that was somebody like uh, Tom Hardy or uh, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis does, right? So he, uh, not, not knocking any of their processes, but that's what happens. And, and Laurence Olivier kind of like cocks his head and looks at, looks at Dustin and goes, my, my, my friend, have you tried acting? Have you tried <laughs> acting? Like, just, have you just tried like, you know, actually, actually fucking like using your imagination and, and pretending to be something rather than like, yeah. So there's this kind of weird, like, and I, I think this pertains to magic too, because when I first, me going to acting school in New York and me starting to actually like get out of the armchair and practice magic coincide. And okay. I think one of, the, one of the reasons for that was that acting done correctly is an actual fucking like magical practice. Like Absolutely. it is, if, if you do it correctly, because, yeah, because you realize like, you realize 
that the self is created, right? Mm -hmm. So, and, and it's kind of like in that Buddhist or like kind of quasi Deleuzian sense, it's kind of created and destroyed in every moment. You're always becoming something. There's never like, there's no static state. So it's just like, okay, well then, in, then why not do that as consciously as possible and see what happens, right? Mm -hmm. So um, when, when you have, is why I think a lot of actors are so manipulable because if you don't come to that understanding viscerally, and I'm not trying to like put myself on a fucking pedestal and be like, oh, no, but this is literally why whatever. I asked you because as I'm reading about this, yeah. I'm like, oh my God, this is like, this is acting and magic and, you know, MLM all kind of put together. Right. And, and also let's, let's, let's be a bit decolonial about this be, because we in the West understand the concept of performance very differently um, than other, mm -hmm. than other parts of the world. And I think it's disingenuous to be like, oh, I'm performing something. There's no like, we associate performance with falsity or like deception in some way. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, it's really curious as to why that is. But the, in, in, in other cultures around the world, there, when you perform, you are the thing. Like, like the metaphor is actually the thing rather than a, uh, a placeholder or a symbol for the thing, right? And again, if you don't like, <laughs> if you don't understand that and the whole like, uh, character is the thing we're consciously creating. We're, we're creating at every moment, right? It's created and destroyed every moment. If you don't fucking get that, like you kind of run around looking for like what the answer is, like or what the best fucking theory or like acting class or practice is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because if you're not like grounded in that very basic truth of the of, of the craft, and I think that's why actors fall for a lot of shit. And, and also, as a kind of caveat and a paradox to that, actors are actually a lot smarter than people give them credit for. We're just intellectual about things that are very difficult to articulate. So people think we're dumb. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but again, because of that, when people do start to articulate things that we understand intuitively, we're very drawn to things. And I think that that's something that um, Keith Raniere did masterfully with people like Alison Mack and, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and the, the other actresses that, that, he, that he drove in. And although, yeah, so this is also something that I so wanted to- Yeah. But that's okay. Yeah, so wait, oh, I just want to, I just want to get back to the question though. Cause it's like, to me, this is, this is something where I'm like, okay, how much do you, how do you kind of find that balance in your own practice, whether acting or spirituality of like work and uh, necessary suffering, like necessary pain, no pain, no gain kind of suffering. And like, actually having fun, like, you know, like not oh. suffering and just like, like, you know, having like actually enjoy like doing the suffering so that it maximizes pleasure as opposed to suffering as a means in and of itself. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, I, it does make sense. And I think the way I do it is, is maybe different from, I mean, it's gonna be different depending on who you ask. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of acting and magical practice, like most of my stuff is like, um, well, just like, okay, so like astrologically speaking, I have a fuckload of Saturn in my chart. So like, I am actually more inclined to like do hard work even if it's right fucking, like <laughs> even if it's fucking like even if there's there's no real like reward for it or whatever i just kind of sit there and suffer and so a lot of my work in the last like year or two particularly has been like well you can also just like you know do magic for stuff so, so when it comes to like the actual practice uh and this may have something to do with like living here and being kind of subtly influenced by a lot of the new age culture. I'm reminded of something that Connor Habib said in a podcast once where um, he was, I think he was talking to Gordon White, where they were talking about like the kind of perceived chasm between like the occult and the new age communities and how there's like, like sort of misogyny tied up in there mm -hmm. and how there's misogyny tied up in, I think they, they literally were like, yeah, if you look at the cars in the parking lot and, and you go to a cult event, it's like a bunch of sad cars and like sad men. And then you go to fucking new age things and it's like middle-class women with like Priuses. So there I was like some I want to put a fucking sort of pin in that because I was also thinking of that quote the whole time I was thinking <laughs> about Nexium. I think that that yeah. is like such a fucking, like, okay. That's a whole, we're, we're going to get to that in a second. Yeah, sure yeah we, we will get to that. We will get to that. Yeah. But it, it, but Connor's kind of like, there is actually, if, if there's actually utility in like a quote unquote passive generative, like using your, using the imaginal and interacting with spirit via the imaginal to actually cause change in your life, what, you know, what somebody would call like manifestation, if you're going to fucking like simplify it down into like a technique and turn that into a lifestyle. Again, another podcast, but 
you know, it's like, okay, so if you can, if you can do that to say, get a promotion, you know, it's very difficult to talk to an occultist who might say, well, in order for me to get that promotion, I have to get naked, strap a deer <laughs> antler to my cock and try to shoot a lightning bolt through it. You know what I mean? Like, it's like kind of like, so, but, but if you can like, so there's of, of course going to be some sort of like chafing Mm-hmm. based on the fact that oh i can also just sit here and like you know go into an go into a, an altered state for you know a half hour and kind of imagine how things are going to happen and then have those things show up yeah right like, it's also so, so like, like yeah yeah i think that that's also very much a thought that comes from like southern european grimoire tradition kind of magic where it's like oh yeah you have to fast for a week before you can do the spell whereas in like even if you look at other parts of europe let alone like other parts of the world like that is not a feature of Scandinavian magic, like Icelandic yeah. magic. Like you just yeah. do whatever magic you need to do when you need to do it. And it's yeah, like absolutely. your spiritual practice is the is the practice leading up to whatever magic you do, but you're supposed to just do it, like whatever right. you need exactly. to. Exactly. And so it's like and a I, very I think, colonized kind of perspective on it, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, because my, my uh, partner does a lot of root work and she often, she loves it, but she often jokes that it's just like, okay, so, so you, you need a new roommate. So what you're going to do is you're going to go out under, under, a, uh, under a, the, the third day of the second day of the full moon and you're going to find a cow. The cow has got to be, you know, <laughs> the, the cow has got to be mostly white with black spots. It can't be mostly black with white spots. And then you're going to go to that cow. You're going to pick the grass underneath the cow, three, three large pinches. And then you're going to go home and you're going to put that under your refrigerator and leave that there for five. Like it's just this kind of like very, like kind of like hyper specific uh object oriented thing you know so like a lot of a lot of my practice is not like that um which is kind of why we're weirdly complimentary in a way but Mm -hmm. like yeah so a lot of my practice is like no no i know the imagination is powerful that's literally my fucking job is to do that so why wouldn't i use that in my magical practice so when it comes to like the question of work and struggle it's just like well if i can imagine that it's play then yeah i can just like kind of like recontextualize it and understand that there's power in that recontextualization and there's not really like a dichotomy between the two in my opinion yeah because i think that that's my my thing in like reading about nexium is like it seems like it's hard to know when you are in a cult i think especially if you're the one in one right and it's in a slippery slope like nexium i think is scary like going back to what we were saying at the beginning of the show like i think it's scary Mm -hmm. because I think we all know or have done, like we all know somebody who has done something like this or have done something like this in our own lives, like multi-level marketing, uh, spiritual success kind of courses, uh, meditation courses, yoga classes. Like this is very much just like the culture right now, especially in New York and LA. And sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's just a fun group of people that, that just meditate and maybe go on a a retreat here and there and it's like not a big deal and like maybe sometimes you get something good from it and then maybe sometimes you're getting fucking branded and having sex with yeah. keith ranieri yeah exactly <laughs> right so so and, and it's kind of interesting too like even taking smallville out, standing there with a the cattle prod <laughs> and in a basement yeah. in albany oh yeah oh yeah so that, 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 is, that is one thing you wanted to talk about right because like most of the Place in Albany, Albany of all fucking, of all places. fucking places. Oh my god! Like you know, at least there's something there's something kind of sexy about the the desert outside of L.A. or like the Guyana jungle or like you know, so there's something cool about that. And it's just like Albany. Yeah, God, oh, Jesus. Anyway, but the uh, yeah, the uh, it, it's interesting to one of the things that I wanted to touch on that we kind of put a pin in earlier. Um, because when, when I was watching the vow, I was watching it with my partner and my partner was kind of like, oh, this is really interesting that this like, there's a, like this unspoken class dynamic when it comes to cults in the US, mm-hmm. where it's, it's like, we usually consider cults the areas of the idle rich, particularly when it comes to like second or third gen inherited wealth. In this case, in Nexium, like the Brothman sisters who are the heirs of the Seagram's, like Seagram's gin and vodka uh, fortune, like they were Epstein connection. Nexium. Yeah, By the also, way. yeah, yeah, Epstein connection. Remember, you told I, me that. Yeah, this is my only, this is my only, like, uh, I think original hot take that I have. I haven't really seen this elsewhere, but um, the account that Jeffrey Epstein was in charge of when he was at Bear Stearns was the Brockman account, was the Seagram's family fortune account. 
And yeah. I have a very small, I have literally no way to prove this, but uh, when the, the Keith Raniere and Allison Mack were arrested or it tried, like convicted a month before Epstein was arrested. And so there's a part oh. of me that I kind of wonder if in that investigation, they found something and then said, okay, we're going to go after Epstein next. Cause it's the same Southern court of New York. So I just kind of, right, that's interesting. Yeah. I wonder if that was the like connective tissue between the two. I have literally no way of proving that, but that's my, you heard it here her first folks. That's, that's my, my hot take of the Nexium Epstein connection. Yeah. And also just on a gut level, I mean, immediately, after hearing this dude speak for more than you know two or three minutes, I was just like, man, if this guy is not CIA or you know intelligence in some way, I will eat my shoe. I will fucking yeah. like, I will I will take some some nice sesame oil and I'll fucking like you know saute the shit out of one of my bands <laughs> and just eat that shit. Like it's it's, it's it's just so apparent in the way that he's like speaking and how the entire. Um, like NLPness of NLPness uh, uh, of, 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 of the system is like organized. So, um, but yeah, like back to the class mobility thing, like fucking, like it's really interesting that we consider cults the, the areas or avenues of like the idle rich. And then also like the, the very, very poor, very working class who don't see any sort of prospects for themselves in the future, or who are made unable to by their circumstances. Um, there's like, oh, but I have, at least I have this group, this community, this spiritual community, which, you know, then turns out to be this fucking, you know, uh, system of organized abuse. And the interesting thing about Nexium um, that I noticed is that when it comes to, when you look at like, say someone like Alison Mack or, or uh, the actresses that were involved with this, it's uh, when it comes, because actors, very wildly uh, when it comes to income and financial success and how you know how success is defined and blah 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 but like there kind of seems to be this weird like uh people who are upwardly mobile and then people who are like downwardly mobile so it's like people who are like who've had some success but who are down on their luck or people who have who are down on the luck for a while and they get a gig on Smallville and all of a sudden they've got a bunch of money and yeah. they, they don't know what to do with it. Yeah, so I wonder how much of a correlation there is between like, like vulnerability to these particular kinds of organizations. Um, which like, and like when you talk about the middle class and all of this, the middle class has this weird bullshit detector regarding like very overt cults. But like when it, when it looks like an MLM, they'll totally fucking buy it. Like it's like the, the, the petite bourgeoisie are the kind of people who fall for like an Amway or something, right? Yeah, I but, think um, so. Yeah. Well, and also yeah. like, I think it's the kind of, uh, we've talked about this before. I think when you're very poor, life is legitimately incredibly hard. Your life is legitimately struggle a lot of the time. Right. And so first of all, anything that gives you a reprieve or a community or like a shelter from the storm is going to be very welcoming to you whether that's like your local church or it's a cult right so like uh, i think that that's one reason why yeah. um but then also i think it's a way to kind of explain the bad things that have happened to you in your life mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. community with other people because it's like well this is uh the inherent evil of the world this is the devil this is um this is satan this is uh bad energy this is uh, my own negative thinking, some, you know, this is Yeah, and then when you get that chemicals. validation and, and feedback from other people in the group, like, and, and that might be a very legitimately releasing good thing for people, but then, of course, that feedback loop, like I talked about earlier, can be manipulated, right? Exactly, right? And then yeah. I think there's the other end of it, where, like, if you are... Uh, wealthy through your family. Like if you if you have inherited wealth, you don't really get meaning from work because you don't have to work necessarily or work is right. just like an inconvenient thing you have to do here and there um, to be like everyone else, right? If you're at the level where like you literally don't have to work, you have that much inherited wealth, like work might just be an inconvenience to like appear human kind of quote unquote. Um, yeah. Or... Yeah. Or it's like, like a, or, it's, or it's maintenance, basically. So yeah, yeah. Like, 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 like tweaking investment plans and shit. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. And then, the, and then, so you don't get you don't get meaning from work, which is like where a lot of people in us, I think America especially derive their worth and their their meaning from. And then mm -hmm. you also, but also like religion 
is, I think, an, especially in America, but I think in a lot of parts of the world, America, uh, sorry, religion is coded as kind of a lower class thing. So for, if you are independent, I, I think like in a way where it's like, well, I don't believe, I'm not like a Bible thumper, right? Like I'm an educated upper class person. I'm not, you know, I don't believe in God, right? Like, you know, the, well, you that's, might- Well, that's that petite bourgeoisie thing I'm talking yeah. about, right? mm -hmm, Exactly. Yeah. So it's either, either you have that or it's like, and you don't, and you lack meaning from like a spiritual community as well, or it's like, I think being super wealthy is actually very alienating. It's actually a very alienating yeah. place to be in. It's very lonely and it's very, uh, it's very dehumanizing to you and other people. And obviously like you're still better off because there's like the whole power dynamics are fucked up there, right? But like when you're wealthy, it's like you're fucking up in Wayne Manor away from Gotham. Like you're away from the world if you're wealthy. And I think that cults are kind of a way for people who are super wealthy to find a community and find a sense of meaning while not having to feel like quote unquote like lower class because it's like well I don't go to church I go to Nexium, which is this like really cool it's like a spiritual practice where we like uh, affirm each other and like do these yoga retreats and like that kind of, you know what I'm saying like yeah it's yeah a, totally it's a different kind of thing, but it's actually the same thing entirely, you know? It's, it's, really, it's really interesting because did you ever watch the show Chambers that had like one season? No. Netflix? Oh, so it's, it's great. Um, what is it? Largely, uh, so Chambers is, it's about, a, um, it's about a young woman who's indigenous and lower class living in Arizona, right next to a town full of like upper class white people. And oh, wait, so I the love class this. Dynamic, yeah, and, and, and she's a great actress. It got canceled after one season, which pissed a lot of people off because it's just like, it, it's actually very well written too, for the most part. Um, Uma Thurman plays, the, plays this woman who loses her daughter um, in an unspecified way, I won't spoil it, in an unspecified way. But the, the lead, the young indigenous woman, she has a heart attack or she has like a, like a, like a rare heart condition where she needs a heart transplant. So they put the white girl's heart into this girl's chest. And that oh. causes all these weird supernatural things. But, the, but the, the white girl's parents are part of this like wellness center where they're just like, oh, well, you know, we go to this like very hoity-toity kind of like Scientology meets country club. Wait, like, I love this show. Oh my God. Yeah, fucking watch it. It's really, wait. I'm surprised more people didn't like it. It's really good. I love this. Um, okay, wait, I'm gonna watch this. Yeah, yeah, it was written. It was written by a woman too. It's really good. Um, the uh, from Akron, Ohio, actually. Like these dichotomies, like do they they do exist? They're very real. I mean, I feel like sometimes when I listen to podcasts and I hear people talk about these issues, I don't feel like they're not. I don't feel like they're always something that I'm directly experiencing. But it's just like you're experiencing those power dynamics mm -hmm. all the fucking time. Yeah. Um, you're experiencing the power dynamics associated with an organization that you could call a cult all the fucking time. Like when you're talking about like everybody, you know, has at least like has fallen for something similar to this in a certain point. I'm like, yeah, jobs, jobs. In yeah. Like, yeah. Like, like literally Preach. working for a corporation is, yeah, you have a lot of that fucking group thing. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I think, and I think more so, like the thing about jobs is like pretty much everyone needs one, right? Like most people need a job, but right. you don't need to, I, it's a weird, I mean, that's almost, it's almost like a, a whole nother episode there, right? Because people can either become too attached to their job where it's like, oh no, my boss is like my family. Like I would never unionize against my dad right like basically mm -hmm. but then on the other hand it's kind of like oh it's just where I work it's it's not important it's just like a place where I work and it's like yeah honey it's where you've worked for the past five years and you should unionize it right like there is well yeah on one side there's not one even, side to the other right mm -hmm. and not even like you should unionize it's just like you know you should pay probably a, a bit more conscious attention to the place where you spend a lot of your time. Yeah. Like yeah, it's, it's yeah. not even, it's not even like, it's not even in an organizing context. It's just like, yeah, no, just, you know, maybe don't, you know, maybe don't phase out so much and pay attention to what actually needs to be done. You know? Yeah. Uh, or to, to make your life and life of your coworkers better or whatever. No. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, I think that we're coming up on a little bit of time. Is there any, yes. I, so I want to, I want to kind of, we've gone all over the place here, but I think it'd be best yeah, if we, we, really have. we really have, but I, I like where we've gone. So I think mm -hmm. that 
to kind of circle back around, a lot of what we've touched on is sort of how prevalent this kind of talk is. And I think that this is something we can even continue into further episodes, but like how, how prevalent this kind of um, self-deprecating yet self-affirming that the dichotomy of that sort of toxic language has become in self-help circles, in new age circles, in Instagram posts, like Instagram therapy posts, like that kind of stuff. I guess like, do we have a, a guide to give people or an internal kind of clock or mechanisms to give people to kind of like, what, when should people start checking in on that? I think like, when do people start well, going, hmm. Well, I mean, all the time. I mean, again, like there's not, it's, it's, it's a difficult piece of, well, first of all, I don't like giving advice anyway, but like. Do not take advice from us. We're about to give you advice, <laughs> but do not take, honey. This is, this is, what this are is you not doing? This is not a substitute for, you know, uh, uh, consultation <laughs> with a medical professional. Listen um, to your doctor, please. Listen to your doctor. Go to therapy. Um, it's, it's a difficult thing to, I think, address because, again, we're, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here, but like, we're, we're very literal. We're very literal thinkers. Like, yeah. so it's kind of difficult for us to, like, the whole concept of cognitive dissonance, just in general, is outside of, like, a deliberate, a deliberate manipulation tactic, I think is kind of, it's odd because I am a person who, historically speaking, is very able to hold two opposing thoughts in his head and understand that those are opposing, but also true in like particular circumstances. Like that's not a very difficult thing for me to do. But I understand that that is not how, that is not how any of this culture works. That's not how any of American culture works at all. It's either one thing or it's another thing and there's no fucking gray area. Uh, and there's no, like, you know, th there's no truth to metaphor. It's just a way of describing things. Like it, it's so, so it's very difficult, I think, to get people to introspect and check in in a way that is helpful because you're always gonna like be like, well, this thing is true and not that rather than both and. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, like, it's, no, that, I think I get yeah. you. Yeah, I, th I mean, my general yeah. advice is like anything that makes you divide yourself from friends and family, don't yeah. fucking trust it. Like, I, th I think yeah. any, any spiritual leader that is like, don't talk to your friends anymore, because they're not like with it, you know, like anybody who is dividing you from the world for more than a weekend, you know, like I'm, I'm yeah, all yeah. here for like a spiritual retreat where you turn oh, a yoga retreat. Yeah. I'm all here for that, but like anything more than like all weekend, <laughs> really yeah. start, really start to question where you're going. Because I think that like, that is the, and I think that that's to me, just like the, the overall thing with, that I have with spirituality. It's just like why I practice witchcraft, right? Because I think that to me, it's like anything that brings you either completely like only in the material or only in the spiritual can be a bad thing. That's where you can start to right. fuck things up because like, human beings are neither 100% spiritual or 100% material. Like we are by our nature, like a blend of the two and a, a meeting yeah. point, like literally human beings are a meeting point of spirit and earth, right? Like that's how I kind right. of see yeah. it. So it's like, I think right. that uh, why I like witchcraft is because I think it does kind of exist in that crossroads space. And I think it has its foot in like both worlds, literally. So it's like, we have our ghost producer. I, <laughs> I, <laughs> I think that we should just, like, the way that we had Zach as our cryptid, Brooke, the phantom noises that Brooke makes around the apartment. It's just like, there's our producer. Well, the producer knock, knock once for yes and twice for no. Um, but the, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I think that like people are a blend of all of these things. And I think that anything that tries to get you to be like, oh, well, uh, you're literally only flesh and bones. Uh, you should just abandon any sort of spiritual quest because, and and buy these pills. Like I think that that's bad. But I think anything. Mm -hmm. But I think on the other hand, it's like stop taking those pills. Just pray all the time. Also bad. Yeah, and, like, and, I, and I and I and I think you see more of that like kind of very like Catharian fucking like old school capital G Gnostic way of thing. I think you see that more in, it's like just abandon the material, you know, mm -hmm. abandon the flesh. Like there's kind of, you know, 
No, but the, um, there's a lot more of that. So I, I, of course, always be skeptical of that. But when it comes to just, I, I guess the whole, you kind of addressed the whole kind of both and thing. Anybody that's telling you that the entire world is this one way and like they have maybe not an exclusive hold on it, but like a quasi exclusive hold on it. Like maybe, you know, whether that's in general or whether that's for like a particular path, you know, like what that, that could either, that could be an acting class, that could be um, a particular Buddhist teacher, that could be, a, you know, uh, it could be a pagan community, like anything that like, because a lot of, we're talking yeah, about experts like- Experts exist, experts exist, yeah. but no one person is, can literally be an expert in all things. Like, right, right. And that's like, that's like what Keith Raniere, that was his thing. He's just like, oh yeah, I'm a physicist and a biologist, you know, I, I know all of these fucking things. It's just like, okay, yeah, like immediate red flag, but I'm not even talking about like overcalls. I'm talking about like, yeah, maybe a spiritual community that's like not great or kind of unhealthy for you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you can even, even that is like something you should get away from. I think also just like have friends from a different from different parts of your life like not all mm -hmm. of my friends are magical people and I think mm -hmm. that that's healthy because it means that like yeah I'm hearing from people who are like atheists and who are Christians and who are Jewish or like people who are not practicing the occult capital T capital O I'm not just gonna sit here and spin out into crazy town and like lose any sort of grounding I, I think this goes for everything. Like I see, I see this in like, uh, in like organizing sometimes. Like I talk to some people and they, it's like, have you talked to someone who isn't a socialist in like the last couple of months? Because yeah, no one understand, nobody outside of this room understands what the fuck you're talking about. Right. Like, yeah, that's, yeah. That's kind of why I'm, I'm happy that my parents are like, sort of like, you know, you're like Mitt Romney style conservative. Cause it's just like, yeah, I don't need to be talking to people who are weird leftists all the time yeah so it's just like oh yeah because it, it reminds you like not everybody thinks like me um or it reminds or you know when you, i have like very good friends of mine who are more like moderate liberals and it's just like right not everybody is you know kind of considering context in the way that i and some of my friends do um and I, that's just basic you know you know don't, and, and, you know actors actually do this a lot because <laughs> actors like i'm very wary of like uh this is gonna sound shitty, but I'm very wary of like actors who all of their friends are actors. Um, Cause that to me sounds like, that sounds like a group therapy session. That doesn't really sound like a community necessarily. Like most of my friends are musicians and writers that are, that are uh, artists. So it's, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's just, you know, homogenization generally bad. If you ever <laughs> see your life getting too homogenous, it's time to change something up. Yeah, you know, you really, you really should. And that's not even from like a avoiding cults thing. That's just that's like, just, a, yeah, it's probably healthy. <laughs> don't astroturf your life. Yeah, don't astroturf your life. All right. I, and right. I think we're probably hitting time here. We're hitting time. Uh, thanks for joining us. Yes. This Welcome back to the lair. And uh, we'll see you all. We'll see you all next time. All right. Ciao. Thanks for, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. All right. See you next time. Bye.